The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. I'll never forget when I was first promoted as a partner, because at that point we, we had about 400 partners globally. And I went to my first partners conference and everyone came up to me and said, Laura, how are you? And I had no idea who they were, right? But because there were so you were few, the you had so few women, everyone knew your name. In today's episode, we speak to Laura King, partner and global head of talent at Clifford Chance, along with her colleague Tiernan Brady, the global head of inclusion. Tin is especially interesting given his recent background as the chief and lead campaigner for not only the equal marriage proposal and referendum in Ireland, but also in Australia. And Laura's background has brought her here today from Canada, where she oversees really recruitment and progression for the whole of Clifford Chance's international offices. I think what's clear is the passion that both have towards diversity and inclusion. And what's also interesting is the responsibility that Clifford Chance has taken, as other law firms do, about not only the responsibility to their employees and to their clients, but also about social change and reform in the places that they operate. The hearing. Well, Laura, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And we've got an uninvited guest as well, uh, Tian and Brady. Fabulous uh, way to be introduced, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Just, yeah. Who, who, in a very opportunistic way, has joined us. Uh, at, our, at, our, no, at our request, I should add. Um, and, and thank you. But first of all, uh, Laura, can you introduce yourself? Uh, and just a little bit about what your role is. And uh, we'll, we'll ask the same of you in a moment, Tian. Sure. Um, so I'm Laura King. I'm a partner at Clifford Chance. I'm also the global head of talent for the firm. Um, and under that guise, I get to do all kinds of interesting things, looking at our people, agenda, diversity and inclusion, development, promotion. So it's great. How long, out of interest, have you held that role for? So it's been about nine years wow. now that I've held that role, but I've been in the firm for about 22 years. Okay. And uh, despite also, my youthful, youthful looks, it goes without saying. Sorry, um, yes, that, just wanted uh, to throw that in. Yeah. We are reminded this is a podcast, but I can assure listeners that right. Laura looking very glamorous youthful, yeah. and youthful yes, yeah. um, and, and uh, defying her age, uh, as is Tiernan. Um, <laughs> Who is not? Doing <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say nothing more. Um, photos will be available. Um, uh, so what about your role? Um, I am the global head of inclusion for Clifford Chance. Um, I don't, haven't even been here 22 weeks yet. Yes. So I'm, I'm very new in the firm. Wow. But, but they've only created the role, which is brilliant in itself because you know, I, I think the firm really understands that this is something that they want to lead on. So they have created a blank piece of paper uh, with a very gigantic box of crayons and an awful lot of talent in the building to you know, to set standards with. Um, yeah. So it was really tempting when, when the opportunity came to do this. And, and how involved were you in that decision, Laura? Because this is almost part of your role as yeah, well, I no, guess, so or it I has created, been historically. Yeah, I, I, I think the organization had reached a maturity point around this. So I created the, the role and, you know, in some respects we were unsure um, as to, you know, where in the world that person would come from and who that person would be. Um, and I cannot even begin to tell you how thrilled I was that um, Tim we're, we're through the probation period yeah, took the, <laughs> the opportunity. Um, I mean, I think to have somebody of that experience set and having um, been through some very interesting campaigns in the past um, in this space, um, who was willing then to actually sort of, you know, almost pivot in some ways into uh, the professional services world. I mean, for us, it was a huge coup. 
Um, and I think it's, you know, it's really going to up our whole agenda around mm. this, which is fantastic. Well, I think we need to then explain a little bit about your background, Tynan. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's one of the reasons why it, was, it is so brilliant, you know, that Laura and Matthew and all the team in their thought about it this way. I mean, I, I don't come from the legal background at all or a HR background. So I, I'm, I come very much from a campaigning background. Mm. So I was the director of the Australian referendum on marriage equality. I can tell from your accent. Uh, on the yes side, but my big Australian accent. Yes. <laughs> uh, but before that, I was the political director of the Irish referendum campaign on marriage equality wow. uh, as well. And and. Both of which, you know, both of which passed, which I'm, you know, exceedingly happy about, and passed with good margins. But I think what was really brilliant about the way Clifford Chance were thinking about the role was they understood actually, this is the type of learning and the type of uh, approach we want to take mm. to diversity and inclusion. That we understand it's a campaign, that it's something you need to campaign for all the time, mm. that it permanent messaging, permanent reinforcement of a value, uh, and promotion and championing of it. Um, and, and I think that really set them apart, you know, which which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and but I think we also wanted to approach it from the perspective of saying, actually, this isn't a problem that we're trying to solve, yeah. right? It's not yeah. as though we've got some sort of, you know, horrendous, you know, sort of scar on the organization yeah, yeah. that needs to be healed. And therefore, we need somebody to come in and fix the problem. Instead, I think we wanted something much more positive. We wanted something that everyone could get yeah. behind and say, actually, this is one of the reasons we're really proud to be in the organization. But yeah. that makes it quite difficult because your background in sort of you're campaigning on a particular issue and there's a arguably a success or a fail without such a, a, de, a sort of a defined remit. Is that something which is a challenge for you especially, or is it something which you are sort of eking out over this first six months? No, it's because I think it's the opposite, actually, because in a way, I think sometimes people mistake campaigns that, you know, such as referendum campaigns mm. and think of them as political campaigns. They're, they're more about social change. Mm. I mean, so actually, the date when votes happen isn't, you know, the end date in social change. There are still more people to engage with, more people to persuade. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, the final seven weeks of a campaign is built on the previous 15 years where you started to create change the whole way through. Yeah. That all of these things are a journey. There's more learning for changing, for social change and for how you change uh, you know, and promote values in a workplace mm. than there is for the world of politics. In fact, mm. I think one of the big mistakes a lot of people make in campaigns like this is they go, oh, now I can become a politician or mm. there's a lot, now that we've won this, we'll set up a political party. But it, it misunderstands the nature of the change that has happened mm. in a referendum where, you know, because it is massive social change and, like, and it doesn't end the day you win the vote. Yeah. It has to keep rolling. Uh, but, but you're working with... Uh, stakeholders who will sometimes buy into it, sometimes who won't. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you've got difficult conversations to have. Who do you see as being those stakeholders now? Who are the people that you need? You probably have people already sort of waving the flag. Um, who are the people that you need to convince? Is it at board level? Is it sort of on the street, or is it the third parties, the clients, the the people you're working with? It's all, of all of them is the short answer. <laughs> uh, but getting all of them to see that they have a role. Mm. You know, that it's not some set of rules on high or it's not some problem fixing. It is a core value that we all are ambassadors for. And and I think one of the big challenges always is people people don't see that they are that powerful in changing the space they're in. Yeah. And when in fact they're the most powerful person for changing the space they're in, whether yeah. it's their work team, whether it's the floor they're on, whether it's their family or their street. So how do you, you know, really get people 
to feel that and accept that and you know and, and then you know they run with it and, mm. but you know but I, I think one of the big challenges is you know in a big firm and a global firm mm. um, who has clients from all over the world as well you know is not to lose sight of that we're trying to make sure everybody sees you know this isn't going to happen because someone else does it it's going to happen because you do it yeah and you'll feel great when you do it and it'll be something that will make you feel more at home here and everybody else feel more at home here. Mm. And that's, I mean, one of the things that I found, you know, sort of really inspiring about looking at some of the work that Tiernan had done before and it helped me to sort of crystallize my thinking on where I'd like to see the organization get to is that you had people celebrating those victories who previously had no stake in that issue. Yeah. And that, to me, yeah. is yeah. just one of the most inspiring things. I mean, I honestly, I, I get a little teary when I think about <laughs> some of the films from it. But, you know, for me and the organization, it would be so fantastic for people to be able to feel proud mm -hmm. of, you know, for example, increasing our BAME recruitment mm -hmm. when they themselves aren't BAME, mm -hmm. but actually feeling very, you know, invested in that. And I just love that feeling. Well, before we move away too far away from accents, um, Laura, we just talked about you briefly and your background, because you've been with Clifford Chance for 22 years. I know. And I imagine it was I have a very passport different. now. They can't. <laughs> I can't be thrown out of the. Country. <laughs> Is that the same with you? I don't know it then, but um, not my Irish passport. Okay, but you can't throw me yes, out of the yeah, country he's either. Got, <laughs> he's got the best passport accessory going in the current environment. Uh, true, yes, um, yes. Uh, but, but in terms of when you started with the firm, uh, I imagine it was a very different place. And was it different from where you came from as well? So I, I started my legal career in Canada, and also I should tell you that Tiernan is secretly a lawyer as well, having studied law. So ah. outing me on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're more uh, but uh, no, I started my legal career in Canada and, and I was part of the great sort of mid 90s Commonwealth diaspora into okay. the London financial markets. Um, so it was really eye opening actually mm. to come from a smaller environment. Um, to London, but in many ways, I mean, Toronto is a very similar place to London in the sense that it's a you know hugely cosmopolitan yep. city, quite diverse on its you know on appearance, um, but actually still the legal profession was a bit um, behind, yep. as it were. So it was really fascinating to to make that transition. I was a bit concerned that when I first moved here, London would be terribly formal. Everyone would call really? each other sir and things like that. But actually I found that it was exactly the same as being in Toronto. But we're still in the um, power, we would sort of be on the power suit generation. I think, yeah, well, it was just, yes, yeah, just, just after the dynasty years, really. <laughs> um, I certainly, I found myself in, in an environment sort of 25 years ago in the profession where you mm. were you really were in the minority as mm. a female so i used to have a kind of jokey thing on my whiteboard in my office when i was a young associate saying how many meetings has laura been to this week where she is the only girl and there would just be x's <laughs> on the whiteboard so that everyone could see and the thing is i you know and and i i did that in some ways to call attention to the yep. issue but i also i think that was sort of a feature of that era that actually i wanted to show a bit of a sense of humor about it and say you know what this is going to change because yeah. i might be the only girl in the yeah. room this week but actually next week i won't be but a sense of humor is great as long as you're not the only one on the joke um yeah. was, how was it perceived by everybody else was it seen as being a i mean i think in those days people did see it as a it, you know it was sort of a burden and a problem that had to be solved yeah. i think okay. people realized that actually something needed to shift 
But you would inevitably have leaders say things to you like, okay, well, you're the female partner. Could you just start a committee and solve that issue? You know, and I think they did it out of an abundance of good intention, but yeah. probably a bit of a wrongheaded approach. And this is why I think, you know, I think we have seen a material shift around this, that actually people are feeling much more invested in the whole issue. So mm. I do think it's genuine when some of our partners come to us and say, this is so fantastic. If you've just seen our promotion list, it's gender balanced. Mm. And that partner is male. Mm. Yep. I mean, literally 10 years ago, nobody in my organization would have said that to me yep. in such a celebratory way. Mm. So I do think there's been a big shift in mindset on this. And since you took over that role, um, sort of nine years ago, I think you're saying, yep. um, how difficult, how challenging has that been for you to to get that buy-in from your typically, I suspect, male peers? Um, well, again, I think it, you know, it, it takes, this isn't a crash diet, no. right? This yeah. isn't, well, you know, exactly. this is, right? <laughs> like, nine years. This is a it's lifestyle a choice, <laughs> right? This is, you know, this is how we'll eat going forward for yeah. the rest of our lives. So I think, you know, that was something you sort of had to mm. accept. And I, and I do think actually working in in that side of the organization or thinking about those issues, it can sometimes be a bit exhausting mm. because actually you do have to keep up a level of momentum yeah. that yeah. never is going to go away. I think once, once I sort of accepted that actually, yeah, this isn't a mathematical problem mm. that we're going to fix overnight. Mm. This is actually something where we're making a, you know, we're making a big culture change in mm. the firm. Yeah. Um, and that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, and uh, I guess flowing from that, how uh, widely shared were those views across other particularly magic circle firms, international firms? Were you out there on your own in Clifford Chance, or were you well supported? No, I mean, I think I think generally? despite some of the negative press that that law firms get on this, mm. actually, if you look at us as a sector, we're pretty good. So I think we have made quite a few gains that perhaps weren't as recognized as they mm. could have been because we do tend to focus on the negative. Yep. Um, so I think it's helped that the sector has sort of banded together on this. Mm. But I mean, Tiernan and I talk all the time about the fact that we've got real differences in different jurisdictions. Well, this yeah. is gonna, actually a big question, uh, particularly with the international brand. Um, but, but just for a moment, I was going to think, pick upon what your perception of law firms was previously and how that's changed if it has changed now that you know me no well, well yeah it's radically transformed <laughs> since I knew my father was a country solicitor that was my okay. knowledge of law so, firms okay. it was just smoke filled rooms in a, in a small town so slightly different from the Clifford Chance yeah. buildings yeah. Um, uh, we, we would, I would have engaged a lot with law firms, especially in the Australian campaign. We okay. would have done an awful lot of campaigning uh, you know, and working with inter-LGBT groups, but mm -hmm. also with the leadership of law firms. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and I think it was like a lot of firms, they were, when it came to LGBT stuff, they were stepping into an area tentatively because they were going, well, is this small p politics? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were always people going, why are we involved in this? And that's specifically because it was about marriage and about a referendum mm -hmm. moment. Whereas I think an awful lot of the leaders in the law space and, and the corporate space in general, you know, the really, the smart leaders got, no, this isn't political. This is, you know, this is probably, we would have been calling this small p political if we were talking about race 40 years ago as yeah. well. So now we're just talking about it for LGBT people yeah. and in a generation it'll be about someone else. This is about our staff and it's about our team. It's about our clients and it's about our values. Mm. So we don't, we can't sit 
uh, on the sidelines and watch this go by. So, yeah. you know, I we great interaction with some brilliant leaders, you know, in Australia uh, on this. But, you know, but when I came to Clifford Chance, I mean, it's you exactly Laura's point. You get that there's a whole level of leadership who actually has internalized this value that they really want it to happen. Mm. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges for diversity and inclusion is everybody, you know, when we live in a world where people think it's about somebody else. Yeah. Oh, if only we could, and it's about problems. So how do we fix that person's life? Oh, well, you know, as long as that's over there, we're gonna walk on by. And, I, I, and also know. this kind of sense of duty and obligation, like, okay, I know we have to do this because it's doing the right thing. Yeah. We have to do it's, it. And it's, it's heavy. Fine. Right, yeah. and, it, you know, and it doesn't feel, yeah, it doesn't feel desired. Whereas yeah. what we really want is we want we want people in the organization to run towards this, right? Yeah. To feel as though this is something they want to commit time and energy yeah. to. So how does that fit in with the recruitment process? Because you have to have the right sort of people. Yes, absolutely. They've got to be talented lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, how do you go around, do, do you prescribe a particular balance of race of gender of we've thought about that to be honest you know as to whether or not we should set more affirmative targets so how many uh, typically uh, in the uk but, but probably on an international level it's in the uk i've got to say i mean you do not have to work very hard to get a diverse recruitment base. really yeah mm. absolutely not so i mean you know at graduate level yeah. certainly not and actually there's some good ways you can measure yourself so you can look at your target universities and you can say mm. all right well what's sitting in that target university but you can even go further you can go down into schools and say yeah. okay well what's the uk population looking like today yeah we should at least be reflective of that in terms of candidate attraction mm. and you know the, this is you know this is basic hr right that, that and if organizations want a good starting place on this it's very very easy to just say what does the market look like what am i attracting yeah. what am i inviting to interview who am i interviewing who do i hire and what has happened in that line of mathematics and that's a very easy way to then start to pick out okay do we have a recruitment problem yeah. so say for example you know in any given population that you've got an lgbt representation of x if you're not attracting x mm. then something is not right in your marketing right it's not mm. it's not complicated yeah. or rocket science so actually for us on the recruitment front in the mm. uk very easy to get the diversity mm. the bigger challenge is what do you do once you've got it, right? Yeah. This is, you're asking, so, you know, sounds like you can see my questions here. Um, I mean, that to yeah. me is, and, and you know, law firms are funny because, you know, most of the time what you're doing is you're hiring for aptitude and training for skill. So there's really no excuse, right? You, it's not like you're going out and looking for an astrophysicist, right? That's had 12 years of experience. And that's, you know, there's two of them in the marketplace. Yeah. So really what happens to your talent um, in terms of development mm, is much yeah. more important mm. than recruitment. Yeah. And what we, we quickly started to identify was that certain groups were not thriving mm. in the same way. So we've had to do some kind of, you know, really careful examination of why that might be. Um, and, you know, I don't think we have all the answers yet, but I yep. think at that stage, you know, you have to start pulling out some other tools mm. um, out of the box, things like mentoring, quick interventions, radical candor in terms mm. of telling somebody about their performance. Mm. A lot of things that, um, you know, you'd, you'd hope would be going on as best practice, but maybe you need to reinforce. Mm. So, yeah, and I think we're on that journey. 
Yeah, particularly from an LGB point of view, um, the you talked about sort of international offices that you have and how in different jurisdictions it can be problematic. Um, LGBT I'm so issues. glad you're getting this. Not, thank you. You can share the answer. Yeah. So you pass, pass the <laughs> um, how are you dealing with it? Because this is a problem which has been around now for 10, yeah. 15, 20 years or so. And firms do struggle, particularly around things like secondments um, mm-hmm. from within UK to, to international offices. Um, and the op- and the, sort of the missed opportunities, difficult things to quantify because you, if people aren't putting themselves forward, you don't necessarily always know the reason why. But that also yeah. extends out to families as well, so yes. family-friendly issues. People who've got relationships, don't necessarily want to move. The single, footloose and fancy free folk are the ones who are taking these opportunities. Is that something that you were aware of and how you? Yeah, how can you address that? I mean, I mean, of course it's true. Whether it's LGB, whether it's gender, whether it's diversity, mm. uh, ethnicity, you know, we're all at a different point on this journey yeah. on, on each one of those issues. Now add that, multiply that by 26 countries where you are, <laughs> yeah. and that's a lot of different arcs. And I, I think the biggest challenge, you know, for trying to internalize, really internalize that, that value so that it, it is lived and owned by everybody mm-hmm. is to understand that there are different places in that arc. So how do you make sure there's a door that's easy for them to walk through? Um, I, I, I think it's always one of the great challenges of any kind of campaign is that you, know, you really want people to engage, but if, if the mountain looks too high, people go, I'm too busy, yeah. or that looks like too much of a problem. So. You, know, you really have to work hard to make sure that there's a door right beside them when they decide, mm. um, I, I, no, no matter where they are, where they are on their journey. And, and, you know, it's a challenging one because LGB is specifically challenging just from this perspective, because when you think about it, it is the only group of all the diversity groups really that we deal with that faces criminalizing yeah. life in jail yeah. and the death penalty yeah. in some jurisdictions. Yeah. Thankfully, there isn't another group that we can say that about anymore. So there's a whole level of complexity about that because that's, apart from it being utterly unacceptable, we look at Brunei even this week mm. and Brunei has brought, reintroduced the death yes. penalty and not just the death penalty, you know, they're going to stone people to death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the minute they pass a law, you know that will happen mm. because there's going to be an enthusiastic judge mm. who has to prove the law mm. and prove that it will happen. So, so someone's going to be stoned to death pretty soon in Brunei simply for being who they are. Yeah. Now, how do global firms deal with that? Mm. You know, and, and I mean, I think it's a huge challenge and we've faced this before and not just thinking about Clifford Chance, when, when Uganda was changing its law, and we have mm. to be so careful that what we do is not damaging to the people we are trying to protect. And it, yeah. like so when Uganda, for example, changed its law, or we're talking about changing its law and talking about introducing a death penalty, mm. you know, we engaged very closely with LGBT groups in Uganda. Mm. And the one thing they did not want us to do was to announce, well, we want to boycott everything that's Uganda. Mm. Uh, because then yeah. that becomes a yeah. stick to beat LGBT yeah, people absolutely. with in Uganda, whilst you get to live in a little bit of smugness mm-hmm. in the West going, well, I did my bit for Uganda. Yeah. And so you be careful that that doesn't creep in. And you know, that's before you get to the whole colonialism question of having white Europeans tell other countries how to live, yeah. and that doesn't have a good history. So we have to be you know, always careful that we're, our interventions are building the capacity of people in the places that they have to exist mm. and building their quality of life rather than potentially just making us look really great mm. as we announce a certain set of standards 
that don't do anything to change their life. In fact, probably set them back a bit. Mm. So there's a lot of and, thought as to go into but it. But I mean, and you know, we. But but, but that being said, I think mm. the, the other thing that's great about our global footprint and and the yeah. way that we're able to interact, you know, in some cases at the highest level of government with very significant, you know, businesses in jurisdictions, yeah. is actually we're able to help move that agenda yeah. forward a little bit. So, you know, when we were in Saudi, for example, um, you know, that was a time when women were not allowed to be in private practice yeah. in Saudi firms. Yeah. And, you know, we were able to be at the table where those discussions started to move forward. Yeah. And actually to have a position of influence around those things is very valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then to your specific question around things like secondments and you know, how you assist people to navigate some of these global issues. There are actually a lot of places you can turn. So, you know, there is excellent global guidance, for example, on, you know, issues of moving your family if you are LGB. Where would you yeah. go? How do you, yeah. how do you do that? You make that information available to people. Um, we affirmatively have a mobility team that is live to all of these issues. Mm. And we yeah. think about that um, as part of it. So, it's, you know, it's making sure you've given people the tools. It's understanding, you know, as Tiernan says, how could we help? What would be helpful? Where are our positions of influence? Um, and then I think it's also celebrating the moments when yeah. mm. you do move the agenda forward. I think there are two things just out of this one. Exactly. How do we build a culture that's celebratory inside the, inside yeah. the building? Yeah. Well, also, we do put our money where our mouth is. We, we have pro bono work. We, we were after winning a case in Singapore uh, on same-sex adoption. We are doing the lead work on uh, transgender law reform uh, pro bono in the UK. So, you know, by the work that we do, we also actively show that this, you know, we really mean this and we walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And, and you know, that's incredibly empowering to the staff and the yeah. team as well as they look around going, that's fantastic work that we do yeah. here that that reflects the value that we hear in speeches yeah and so uh, you know and there's a couple of other really brilliant cases that you know they're tootling along there yeah. on the death penalty which of course is an overlap on LGB on decriminalization so you know we could go for hours about you know the incredible work that's going on in pro bono in, in Clifford Chance that totally reflects the value and how is that uh, dealt with internally how's that communicated internally um, how do people buy into that what's what's the benefit again from that which so, is great I mean, we obviously really, we, we definitely sad, yeah. yeah we definitely call out and celebrate that yeah. um, th those pieces of pro bono work in particular so yeah. people are you know, explicitly recognized in the organization we've got tons of communication channels yeah. for yeah. that um, and we have senior leaders stand up and yeah. talk about it at very important, you know, moments in the firm's sort of gatherings. You know, I think because they, you know, they themselves, you know, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a halo glow that they get around being able to celebrate those yeah. things themselves as yeah. well. So it's good. It's win-win. Yeah. Well, I, I think that we can overlook that sometimes we can problematize diversity and inclusion that it becomes about enunciating a problem yeah. when in fact it should be about celebrating a value and within that journey is loads incredible amounts of mini victories you have to just remind people of incredible work that's going on all the time that it is a positive journey we're taking it's not you know, that Monty Python stuff of, I'm so poor I lived in a crisp box. Well, I couldn't afford a crisp box. You know, and it just descends into, you know, I'm, no, I'm a bigger victim than you are. That's yeah. more, and but, it's not, you can't sell that to people and no one wants to be part right. of that journey. Why would you, yeah, so, why do you want to go to that party? Yeah, I, 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 so, and 
when you're in 26 countries, one of the great challenges we do have, mm. and we do, you know, we're thinking about it a lot, is how do we make sure all those mini victories are felt everywhere yeah. Yeah. so that everybody gets the synergy and the bounce from it? Which is especially difficult if there is a cultural element to it as well. You talk about Definitely. women in Saudi. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a great win in the UK, but maybe less so in other jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, and then we start talking about things, the, the, not to say the buzzword, but one of the more recent references has been around intersectionality. So identifying people with more than one, um, to use the legal parlance, protected characteristic. Um, and I suppose that's just looking at people as people rather than as numbers. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you dealing with that? Well, or is it something that, which is still you know, the To some extent, there, it's, our business actually really lends itself to this because actually that's what our business is. We're just people, just right? People I mean, rich. what we are is you know, we're celebrating the expertise of individuals. Mm -hmm. And so it's very, very easy for us in some respects to put someone forward and say, look at this fantastic thing that this individual mm -hmm. has done. So I do think yeah. it's a question of making it quite personal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's personalizing some of what's gone on. Um, and you know, we, we did a publication a couple of years ago called Advice to My Younger Self that was actually done at the behest of our New York office off their own bat. And they said, you know what? We actually have some fantastic women alumni and associates. Let's just make a book about them. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't think they intended to go after this very zeitgeisty intersectionality issue, but yes. man, just putting <laughs> all those people in the yeah. book, yeah. everyone was like, this is incredible look at you know, look at all these different life experiences yeah. and how, you know, how they reflect off of one another. And honestly, I mean, I couldn't print enough copies yeah. of that book. I mean, I had partners in the firm phoning me up and saying, you know, I'm going to a meeting, I need 22 copies of that book. Um, so again, you know, it's just some of the things that you think are not going to be super powerful can end up actually being incredibly meaningful to people. I think that's right. Well, I, well, since we're doing a podcast, everyone should read the book because the book is fabulous. Yeah. It's, 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 it's absolutely it's fabulous. Printed. Yeah, yeah, you can sure actually kind of, download an online uh, copy as well. Or I can send you a signed copy, of course. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm in the book as well. Yes. But that's not for everybody, yeah. that's just for me. <laughs> but I think the beauty of the book is it does exactly what we need to do. Instead of having a conversation about uh, you know, intersectionali Issue. intersectionality exactly. of diversity and inclusion <laughs> in a global workspace, it's a story about Margaret. Yeah. And that yeah. was really interesting. Yeah. Oh, now I get Margaret. Yeah. And yeah. God, isn't Margaret brilliant? And I think we really have to work so hard in a way you know, to get away from this idea that to become a supporter of inclusion, you have to be an expert in inclusion. Yeah. That's the nightmare scenario. That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's back to celebrating rather than like pointing to, a finger, sort of saying, this is what we're doing, this is what it is. Well, and this um, is about people, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is about people's ability to, you know, seek their highest ambitions, develop themselves, yeah. do great work for the firm, do amazing things for clients. I mean, yeah. you know, that's really at the end of the day, what you what you want to celebrate yeah. yeah and you talked briefly around well you mentioned uh, crash diets in terms of diversity and actually in the last few years i think a few crash diets have happened not with you but but around particularly around the legal profession on the back of the gender pay gap particularly um and mm -hmm. that's become a huge huge deal the, the, the sort of the league tables are being printed in various legal publications up and down the country um You've gone one step further, though, uh, particularly in the UK, um, and extended it beyond gender into disability, sexuality, ethnicity. Um, 
Why? Why would you choose to do that? Because well, I mean, in some respects, because our people idea. asked us to, right? Okay. So, I mean, when we put together the gender pay gap working group internally at the firm, we took people from all different, you know, sort of functional areas and different jobs and places in the firm and positions of seniority. And we said, okay, what do you think? Like, yeah. what, what should we be publishing? Why would we do this? What's important? And it was those individuals who said, well, wait a second, if you're publishing that, yeah. why aren't you publishing this? And I think it was really off the back of finding the first exercise to be useful yeah. mm -hmm. and action driving that actually we then got pressure from people internally to say, okay, well, if that was useful in action driving around gender, mm. let's publish the stats around ethnicity, let's look at disability, because actually that will drive some action. Yeah. Um, some of the actions that we did around gender are clearly going to be directly yeah. translatable to some of those categories. But the interesting thing we've already found in that committee, some of them just aren't. Like yeah. they are just not going to have any bearing on. So, you know... I think you can kill yourself with stats, so we're trying yeah, yeah. to be a bit careful on that. So if you see our gender pay gap report this time, actually one of the things we did, we profiled a bunch of people, yeah. Yeah. right? So we actually did, again, try and take it back to the person. Yeah. Yeah. Back into context and yeah. celebrating, but also it's, it's, it's shining a light on something which a lot of people would rather not shine a light on. Um, uh, but you're doing it with a view to improving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think other people are going to, other firms will follow suit or do you think you're going to be out on your own on this one? I mean, I, you know, I, I suspect that if firms find it useful, they'll, they'll yeah. do, they'll do something similar. I mean, you know, that's the other nice thing about this being a sort of sector wide point. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't really think that you can credibly say, you know, we're in competition with another law firm over our gender pay gap yeah. reporting. I no. think you're not. What you're interested in in looking at the other law firm for yeah. is to say, are we directionally going in the same yeah. place? And have they have they thought of something we haven't? And yeah. what would be good to sort of So take? looking at the yeah. ideas from it rather yeah. than necessarily looking at the black and white figures. Because yeah. the, the figures only tell half a story. Um, it, you're right. It's about that context on top, but the, the figures aren't like aren't great. Um, typically, they're this is, terrible. Yeah. You said they're not great. <laughs> well, that's very diplomatic of you. They're terrible. I try not to yeah. be too rude to, yeah. to people who are joining us, yeah. but um, but but how how do you move? You've been around for nine years, focusing on these issues. How do you? Who else do you need well, to Well, here's what I'll, here's, here's what I know for nothing, right? <laughs> nine nine so years ago. You've published them. That's yeah. what's so surprising, I think. Not the fact yeah. that you've done the exercise, the fact that it's been published. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly well, well arguably brave. Well, in the in the in the world of, you know, Twitter and Instagram, I don't, you know, <laughs> yes. I don't think you really <laughs> have much choice yeah. on some of these yeah. things. I mean, I think if you if you don't publish your statistics, you know, one of your one of your junior yeah. associates is just going to find out the information and put it on their, you know, put it on their <laughs> Facebook anyway. So, I mean, I'm joking aside, I think, you know, there is there's a much less or there's a much more porous boundary now between, mm -hmm. you know, in internal mm -hmm. information and external. Yeah. And I think people yeah. see that as, as yeah. possibly quite a good thing. But what yeah. I do know is that nine years ago, the numbers were more terrible, right? So yes, there is, you know, slow change yeah. and it feels like tiny increments, but actually directionally, it's definitely changed. And I mean, I used to go to the Global Partners Conference, right? And I'll never forget when I was first promoted as a partner, because at that point, we, we had about 400 partners globally. And mm -hmm. I went to my first partners conference and everyone came up to me and said, Laura, how are you? And I had no idea who they were, <laughs> right? But because there were so you few, were well, you had so few women, everyone knew your name. It was terrible, right? So you 
you'd be like, so you would just sort of guess and say, nice to see you again, David. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that has... Good percentage chance of getting that totally, right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that has really materially changed. I mean, now when I walk into that yeah. room of 500 and some odd yeah. partners, it looks like a completely different organization yeah. than it did 20 years ago. Well, and it moves, I mean, A, so we know it's working. B, I think the publication of the figures. Yeah. Um, was a brilliant catalyst for change because what happened was we suddenly internally created committees to look at it. Mm. So, you know, and again, that was followed by, but it's also, sorry, it's also great messaging to the entire team that this is something that we don't hide under the table, right. that we think is so yeah. important, we're putting it out here. And everybody in all 33 offices got to see that and feel mm. that and go, well, okay, that's, that's a statement that's brave. Mm. Uh, and you don't do these type of things if your plan is to avoid them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think actually we just got benefit from so many directions for you know being the first in the world to do something and to jump both in terms of empowering staff, you know, being a catalyst for further change, yeah. and now straight into ethnicity and uh, um, sexuality figures because we've already seen how successful the release of the first figure yeah. was in yeah. terms of creating more change. So but I have to say on that committee, yeah. one of the greatest moments on the, on the committee was when, when Roy, I don't know if you were there at that meeting day, but you know we published the first set of st stats. So mm. this was last year when we published the whole firm stats around gender pay gap. And clearly there was, you know, some of those figures were really quite astonishing. Mm. Um, and we, you know, we struck this committee and we had a lot of talk and it was great. And one of our associates, Roy, said all right like enough with the talking what are we actually doing about this right like I, yeah. I want to see some actual action and we were like oh you know we'll make a video he's like no that's not enough yes. right? and so actually those people have really helped us yeah. you know to sort of really hold feet to the fire and say okay what are you actually doing like forget about just sitting in committee rooms because law firms can also be death by committee a little yeah. bit sometimes so so i think it's also helped to have that really broad group and younger people on that group saying no 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 you know yeah. it's not good enough to just publish the report mm -hmm. as you say yeah. that's the first step in a campaign yeah. right it's not the victory yeah so, no totally yeah. yeah and i think it's been really brilliant the way that it has not lost the fact that it has to have a focus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, because yeah, good mm -hmm. ideas go to die in committee. And, you know, it's why parliaments have committees. It's where they can send the good ideas. So we <laughs> don't have it. They don't want that. That's a lovely yeah, idea. Exactly. We, sh we should have a scoping let's exercise never, about yeah. that idea. Let's never so let's, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Whereas I think it, you know, you just have to be a little bit steely in your focus of going, this committee has a purpose. Yeah. This is its purpose. What is it going to do over the next year? Because as well as that, you know, when you're dealing in law firms, is people are incredibly busy. Yeah. So if you want to add an extra layer of committee onto yeah. them that doesn't do anything, yeah. people will attend twice, and that will be the last you'll see of them. Yeah. And that now you've just burnt this brilliant opportunity to mobilize and empower people. So I think one of the things we do have to think about all the time when you're for a law firm in particular is that point. You know, in a place where people literally have so little capacity left because right. they're using every hour that they have to work and they love their work and you know they work very hard 
is how do you make this an easy entry? Yeah. You know, so that we can go, this is purposeful. This is recognized and valued by us yeah. as a firm. And that, I think, is an important point, though. I mean, people do work incredibly hard. And, yeah. and obviously, like, you know, our client work and our pro bono work, it's, it's very important. And actually, you know, let's face it, we measure people by time, mm -hmm. right, in, in these kinds of professional services organizations. So the other thing I think we are thinking hard about is how do we make sure that we give people the time mm -hmm. to yeah. do this? And so I think you also have to be cognizant in the organization of the signals you're sending through mm. all kinds of structures, your compensation system, yeah. how you're yeah. sort of presenting people with how they're spending their time, yeah. what that visual um, is, is signaling to people when you give it to them. So, you know, I think there is a lot that you can actually do, real actions that you can take in order to drive this agenda forward. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to draw it to a close, although I could sit here for probably the rest of the afternoon. Oh, thank you very much. Um, That's very kind. Uh, just and with, well done um, on the diversity of accents on this podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we'll, got we'll, my we'll, podunk yeah. Canadian <laughs> accent. That's one quote I checked off. Yeah, but exactly. uh, in terms of just one final question, which is, um, you were along not that long ago, obviously we've talked about it, um, but uh, a while ago, we were in private practice, you were a, you were a transactional uh, corporate yeah. structure. Yeah, no, I was a, yeah, I did structured debt. Do you miss it? Yes, I mean, there's, there, I mean, there are some fantastic things about working at that level of the legal profession mm. in our firm that, you know, you, you literally cannot replicate that anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And transactional work is really fun in the sense that, you know, you, you have clients and teams that are all pulling in the same direction, mm. right? It's not, you know, it's everybody wants the same things. Yep. It's intellectually challenging. And then you get it done, mm. right? Whereas an agenda <laughs> like this is different, right? It's yes. not, you know. Perpetually exactly. fun rather than having so a deadline. Are, We're just, yeah. And then you get to have, you get the deal done. You have a nice yeah. celebratory closing dinner with the client and you make a book and the deal is done. And so there is a certainty around that, so, around that type of work, which is really satisfying. Yeah. And, and so, Taylor, for you briefly, um, will that law degree be coming back into use in the near future? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. Laura, that's not fair. She's already trying to work this out. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, well, I, I'm just enjoying bringing the campaigning to it. I, I'm, I like. I, I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's just brilliant fun that Clifford Chance so get what this has to look like, uh, and and that's what I'm feeling. You know, finding really exciting, and I think that little, you know, that bit you're talking about the transactional stuff. I think at the end of the deal you have you know a glass of wine and you own it mm. that makes you you know look forward to the next piece of work yeah. so how, I was about to say how many glasses of wine can we have around <laughs> diversity and inclusion yeah. but how do you populate yeah. this with wins and victories Absolutely. I, all you know all the time I think you yeah. know good campaigning is important it's the nature of what we have to do there is no finish line mm. and there is no ultimate victory mm. you just keep working to the goal that you see as your absolute core value mm. of inclusion that everybody who comes into the firm will you know have an equality of aspiration an equality of opportunity and an equality of experience mm. yes. and that's what we have to deliver and you have to permanently do that permanently take the wins out of it permanently celebrate it you know Great. Well, Lots thank you. I'll, I'm going to I'll, I'll go for the wine so now. And, uh, and then there. Thank <laughs> you very really much. Good. Thanks. The hearing. As ever, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us again and why not give us a rating or subscribe? That way you'll get an alert every time we release a new episode. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters.
To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.